This podcast is brought to you by Rototo. Experience intense space survival action in this mobile retro arcade game. A rotating shield is the only thing standing between the incoming alien horde and your inevitable destruction. How long can you last? Play now on iOS and Android. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Aiden Feldman. Hey, Aiden. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Excited to be here. Awesome. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about 18F? So, yeah, 18F is a contracting shop within the federal government. Mm -hmm. So, we do work for other agencies. We are part of General Services Administration and say Peace Corps or, you know, immigration or any other agency can approach us and say, you know, we have this problem, we have this project that we need built and, you know, have us do the user research, have us do the design, have us do the implementation, hosting, uh, sort of full service from there. Mm -hmm. So how is it different than, is it different than a normal government organization? So it's, you know, part of the general services administration. So I'm actually a federal employee and we're all federal employees. And the probably big difference is that we are outward facing in that, you know, if you were part of health and human services, you'd be working on that specifically. We exist to service other agencies. So, I see. So other agencies come to us and we do the work for them. Mm-hmm. So I assume that makes it a lot easier for government organizations to bring in you as opposed to outside firms, which there must be a fairly complicated process. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, contracting, you know, around procurement and security and and that sort of thing. Um, you have to go through a whole bidding process mm-hmm. for getting any sort of outside contractor. Uh, so we're not a f- replacement for an outside contractor. I mean, the government IT spending is many billions of dollars a year. Um, and so we are really just a drop in the bucket. But what we are hoping to do is, you know, where these agencies don't have necessarily a lot of technical expertise in-house, you know, where they would have a program manager that then finds contractors to do these kinds of things outside. Mm-hmm. We are able to, you know, provide a bit more of that and do work with outside contractors, you know, especially on the bigger projects. Mm-hmm. That's cool. One of my favorite jobs ever was doing kind of what you're doing before uh, in a hospital. And the, yeah. the gratifying part was that everyone we went and helped had almost no technical skills. So the stuff that we could do was kind of magical. And it was the kind of thing where there's like 60 people editing the same Excel spreadsheet. Um, and we could come in and say, let's make your life a little bit better with software. And it was so gratifying. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, so many parts of government are just like bogged down with like horrible technology that, yeah, every single little change is like, wow, this is so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think we, part of the way we present ourselves and part of the way we take on work is that, you know, we're not just going to take the problem at face value in terms of, you know, really examining the restrictions around like the process and seeing, you know, to what extent we can cut things out to make things easier, you know, figuring out exactly what like the law says, what the policy says, et cetera, to, you know, then produce the best like product. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So do you have any uh, consultant bag of tricks kind of things? Yeah, we, um, you know, we work alongside several other teams kind of like ours and mm-hmm. the whole kind of network is called the United States Digital Service as opposed to the United States Digital, Digital Service HQ, which is like the team based in the White House. Mm. Uh, but, 
you know, all these teams, uh, including and especially ours, have been working on like guides and playbooks and things like that. So um, the USDS proper like put out a playbook around doing agile development, around procurement, and around open source and things like that. Mm. We have you know sort of guides for doing deployment within government, how to you know template like interagency agreements and like template, you know, contracts with outside vendors and things like that. So there are a lot of, you know, resources that we produce and because we make a lot of, well, basically all of our work public, other agencies and other teams can benefit from those. Hmm. So are, are you, is there open source work in that as well? Almost 100%. Nice. Yeah, so that's a cool thing about the team and what really attracted me to it um, is that, you know, I wanted to be working on open source full time hmm. and we have in writing that all of our work will be open source, you know, unless there's specific exemption and a good reason not to. Mm -hmm. That's a nice default policy. Yeah, I'm quite happy with it. And it really like, you know, we're in public sector. So, you know, the way we see it, like, you know, the taxpayers own this, not us. And so all the work we produce uh, in software is released under like a CC0 license, a Creative Commons, like uh, unlicensed in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the way we approach you know everything, and then you know coming up with the, the playbooks and the sort of best practices. You know, we hope that other teams like 18F will spread up within different agencies. We're actually helping to make that happen. You know, of having more technical expertise in Department of State and Department of Education, or you know whatever, and also at the city level and state level, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you know, the the more that we can produce in terms of guidelines, in terms of you know what we've figured out how to do makes their process a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So that sort of open by default mentality is really, yeah, is something I, I love about it. That's cool. Let's hope that gets copied around. That'd be nice. Totally, yeah. Hmm. So can you give me an idea of like the kind of projects you work on? Yeah, so my main project, you know, most developers and, and other people on the team are on one client project. So mine is actually for GSA, which is our parent organization, but we are building an approval tool. So getting something purchased right now, uh, say if you are the person who like paints the walls in the White House, because that's someone's job, mm-hmm. you know, they have to go through like four to six signatures, you know, getting sign off from uh, four to six people in order to buy a new bucket of paint. Mm-hmm. And that process is pretty scary right now. It's, you know, a bunch of emails back and forth. And then it's, once it's triaged to the right people, that that's all printed out and put in a binder, but then scanned back in and sent to someone else and uploaded somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our main this tool that we're building is essentially a state machine wrapped in email notifications. It's you know an intake form and allows you to collect all that information about an approval workflow. You know, whatever information is required up front, and then getting sent to the right people, and then having that all, you know, in one place to reporting on afterwards for auditing or whatever Mm -hmm. do you feel like in general you are able to affect actual changes to processes like make them better and more efficient or are you mostly just throwing computers at processes that kind of suck and there's nothing you can do about it you know there's good reasons for all these things right Mm -hmm. like the reason there are four to six signatures is because you know someone needs to make sure that there's money you know, allocated for this project. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to make sure that, you know, the person isn't just spending frivolously 
you know, someone else needs to make sure that like, this is the right work being done. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, every, I really believe that like everything in government like happens for a good reason. It's just the sum of all of them that makes it sort of insane mm-hmm. uh, in some cases. Right. There's a lot of good intention there. It's just kind of the, yeah. co- the collection of it sometimes. The sum exactly. is worse than its parts. Exactly. So, you know, figuring out how can we, you know, take those manual processes and, you know, still keep in place all the right checks and balances that are there for good reasons, but do it in a user-friendly way that will save time and money for the government employees or, you know, if it's, the, if it's a citizen-facing tool, you know, that will make the experience better for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really is a balance and to some extent we can you know ask the question of like is this actually are we actually doing this for security reasons or are we actually doing this for policy reasons or are we just doing it because that's the way it's always been done mm. um so that's definitely part of like the discovery process as we're developing projects mm-hmm. that's good so do you have uh, other project examples yeah so you know the client project is sort of like the main chunk of my time but i'm also working on a hosting platform within 18f so we you know, have a team of about like 25 or 30 engineers. And because we're sort of consulting setup, we have a large number of applications per person, right? So where a large, you know, consumer facing company might have, you know, one big app that they have a ton of people working on. We have a lot of small ones, mm. you know, and, and a lot of them are not even that complicated, right? Like static sites or, you know, a simple, page to like download data or to you know fill out a form to submit something etc so these aren't super complicated but you know we need to run all of them with a small dev team and a very small uh, operations team Mm -hmm. so something we've rolled out in the past few months is a platform as a service so we're actually using an open source tool that allows us to sit on top of you know our existing servers and you know the developers can deploy and configure applications without any interaction from the DevOps team. Hmm. So, you know, it means a lot in terms of like uptime. It means a lot in terms of, you know, the amount of time it takes to configure, to set up and provision servers, monitoring, you know, we can give all that stuff for free because it's now a sort of unified platform that allows you to run any sort of language or framework on Hmm. top of. So this is kind of like your own Heroku sort of thing? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Are, is use, I mean, would you be using someone else's platform be an option or is there a requirement to run it yourselves? Yeah, so there's, there's some restrictions. Like to use a outside vendor, uh, like for, for hosting, for example, you have to go through you know, the big procurement nightmare. Yep. Um, so it's not out of the question. And you know, we're hosting our, um, you know, all of our apps on uh, AWS. Mm. You know, we could use something like like a Heroku or you know something in that category but mm-hmm. um, if they haven't gone through the proper like security checks right mm-hmm. the, the all the all the boxes that uh, and hoops that they need to jump through mm-hmm. um, to do that uh, it's not an option for us like they re- the provider really has to want to do that mm-hmm. and even if you get that platform approved okay well now you need a database and now you need a search server and so then each one of those services has to go through it so this allows us to you know because it's open source we can we can customize it we can make sure that you know we can audit it ourselves making sure that the platform itself is you know secure and is stable etc and it really has you know thus far knock on wood like not been as painful to operate and run as i was you know, as, as it could have been. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. There's a lot of tools in this space, like uh, Cloud Foundry is the one we're using, but it's not, 
you know, the only one. Um, they've really matured a lot, I think, in the past few years, and they're, they're becoming a lot more popular where big kind of enterprise kind of installations can can run and not need a gigantic team to manage hosting. Yeah. Yeah. And we're able to do a lot of customization because of it. Yeah. Very cool. Are you, you're in New York City, right? I am. Yeah. Based in Brooklyn. Okay. Is that where H&F is based or are you remote? So yeah, the, the main office is in DC. So I am remote, but we have uh, four people in New York now. And so we work, you know, it's a very flexible job in terms of we, you know, are in the office a few days a week, but working from home the other days or, you know, traveling down to DC or, you know, it's very loose in terms of where you want to work and, and even, even the times. That's cool. I, w- I wouldn't have guessed that for government work. Yeah, that's what's, that's what's kind of cool about it. You know, the team really was formed on the idea that, like, if you get talented people and, you know, set up the kind of conditions that are conducive to working, you know, in a modern kind of software best practices kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, which is definitely adopted from, from industry. And we're, in, in fact, trying to attract a lot of people from industry. Like, I, this was my first non-private sector job. Yeah. Do you have much luck attracting those people? Yeah. I mean, I would guess about three quarters um, of the people in our team have never worked for government before. Or even if they have, it might have been like a Code for America fellowship or something like that. So most of the people are very new. And yeah, we've got like amazing people on our team. We, you know, I think that's the big draw for a lot of people that join. Yeah. How how do you pitch it to people when they're looking at it? Yeah. I mean, for me... um, Yeah. What's old to you? That's probably a better question. Yeah. uh, For me, it was... I wanted to work somewhere that I knew I could make an impact check, you know, that I knew the work would be important that I actually, the biggest thing was, was the working in the open, the commitment to open source and the, you know, being able to write and talk about what we do, not having to worry about, you know, competitive advantage or anything like that, because there's no, there's not really any downside to us keeping information to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that sort of philosophy rather than, you know, like, yeah, we produce some open source, but that's not our main focus. You know, the more that we can build things that are reusable, the more that we can rewrite things that are reusable, the better off it is for us and everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Do you find generally when people when you're working on projects that are your clients coming to you or are you being like assigned to clients and like you have to get in there and fix this? Or are they saying, please help us? Uh, no, the so HNF as a whole is is really set up as, you know, the agencies don't have to use us. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States government is very siloed in the sense that these agencies operate independently. Mm. There are agencies that, you know, the ones that have like secretaries, like Secretary of State, you know, where they answer to the president. The other agencies like GSA are independent. So there's not a lot that is forced on them other than, you know, laws. Mm-hmm. And so unless there were a law passed or a policy passed saying you must, 18F must build everything, that mm-hmm. wouldn't happen. And that's not what we, you know, are going for. And so, you know, our old director actually had a great kind of way of looking at this that's, we could, you know, try and get everyone to f- be forced to use 18F for their projects, but it's actually much better and works out works out better for everyone if we show the happier path, and they'll come gladly because why why wouldn't you want to work in this way mm. compared to the alternative? Sure. So yeah, for for agencies, it is, and we've been very lucky in that we've had more interest than we can take on. So yeah, it has been, you know, in terms of the projects, all all people approaching us. That's good. What does 18F mean, by the way? Uh, so that's the intersection of the streets in uh, D.C. where uh, the office space. Yeah, 18th and F. Gotcha. Cool. So what makes a good project? Like what, when you have a project coming on, like what, what are good signs to you? 
Yeah. So there are um, people that deal a lot and think a lot more about like project intake than I do. Uh You know, I think the big things are, you know, are they willing to work in the way that we want to work um, in the way that we're committed to working, you know, open source, doing things in an agile way, like releasing quickly, being open to feedback, doing user interviews, Mm -hmm. you know, all these sorts of things. It's so funny. You're you're saying all these things that like feel like like normal sort of table stakes for like the work that I'm I'm used to doing for years, but I'm I'm sure that's not the the average case in government. Yeah, I mean, this is very new still. um, Thinking this kind of way, Uh, like why wouldn't you do waterfall development? Like if you you know define everything up front, then you get exactly what you ask for. Mm -hmm. Like that makes that makes sense. But this is is exciting to me. (laughs) It it feels promising because. We spend a lot of time thinking about you know how do you run software projects well, and it's good to yeah. hear that you are also thinking about that, and we're doing some of this, a lot of the same things. Totally, and I don't think government in a lot of ways is not that much different from working with large companies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you were trying to get a contract with a Fortune 100 company, it probably wouldn't be that different. Yeah, you know, it's just it's large. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. There's a lot of policy involved. Mm-hmm. People have to give a million people have to sign off for everything. So you know, and saying that, like, you know, come talk to us if you want to work with us. But this is the way that we do things. And, you know, we're not going to force you to, to sign on with us. But no, if you do, you know, we're going to push hard on working in this kind of way. If, if my agency wants to hire you, do I have to pay you? Yeah. So that was something that was really surprising about coming into government is that, you know, I assume because it's so big, it just sort of happened this way that, Every interaction between and even within agencies is paid. So we pay for office space from our parent GSA. Mm -hmm. Other agencies pay us to for us to do development for them. You know, a lot of that is due to just how the funding works. You know, some agencies will get money through congressional budget. Others will just have you know discretionary funds that you know they can use for whatever upgrades they want to do, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and H&F is not entirely, but largely paid for by, you know, these agency contracts. So, you know, the idea is that we're basically revenue neutral. Yeah, I'm realizing as organizations get bigger, this seems to happen more and more, these sort of like semi-surprising yeah. things. Like right now, like ThoughtBot pays Upcase for its team subscription. Uh, and like Upcase pays ThoughtBot for the people that work on Upcase and like this kind of like and really like there's there's at the end of the day it's kind of like we're just fake moving money around between you know like <laughs> not, nowhere and but like for to make have the books make sense and to have things make sense that right. the, you know when you look at the P&L it's like okay we're gonna do this even though it seems a little silly right yeah I mean I imagine the thinking is you know okay we have to allocate a certain amount of resources here but we want to know if they're using more than the allocated resources and so okay so we need a way of keeping track of you know how much is is being used for this particular thing versus drawing on another team or whatever and it's mm-hmm. like yeah that's that's called currency right yeah <laughs> money's good for that <laughs> If only there was some sort of way to stand in for amount of resources you have. Yeah. I mean, relatedly, there's, um, you know, not just as money used inside of government for, you know, paying for these sort of services and things, but something else that uh, started happening recently is that the government actually has kind of internal uh, venture capital funding. Hmm. So the our parent organization within GSA held this thing called The Great Pitch, and it was basically a you know, a place where different teams from GSA or from other agencies could come and propose, you know, IT projects that would, you know, benefit the greater government. And, 
you know, there was basically a pot of money that they have allocated to seed projects that will turn out making positive change, hmm. you know, in terms of money, in terms of time, in terms of process, whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this cloud dot, uh, this, uh, hosting platform that I'm working on actually was recently funded through a similar sort of mechanism. There's a pot of money for acquisition services, it's called. Mm-hmm. So basically things that make, you know, buying stuff easier, such as hosting. Sure. So, you know, we're able to sort of fund the platform through that and we'll make back that money through charging whoever uses it within the within the government. Interesting, interesting. Is it called cloud.gov? It is. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's the working title. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> we'll see if we can get the domain. Yeah, right. You have to compete with, who knows, the cloud <laughs> department. Uh, so how did you, what was your interview like going into this? You know, uh, I got introduced from a former coworker. Mine was fairly informal. Mm-hmm. You know, I had kind of an introductory chat just to like hear about what the work was like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more formalized now. I mean, I joined back in October and, you know, the team is just barely over a year old. So we have a lot more process in place now. Mm. So, yeah, there's, you know, a technical interview there. Well, a phone screen up front, there's a technical interview, there's a cultural interview, mm-hmm. uh, and then references and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty, you know, our focus, like in the technical side, is not on like data structures and algorithms. It's very much practical, you know, development experience, like, you know, design an API or, you know, talk about how you would deal with this like data workflow problem or talk about how you'd, you know, for, for the non-technical roles, you know, talk about how you manage this, you know, real case study, real, this real sort of interaction with, with a client, a problem that we've had recently, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so you do other interesting things, which I think we were allowed to touch on briefly. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking, speaking in my uh, official capacity here. Speaking as a, only in your personal capacity and with no endorsement <laughs> implied, uh, right. can you talk about uh, Hacker Hours? Is that what it is? Yeah. So um, Hacker Hours is a meetup I started a couple of years ago to basically just offer office hours to anyone that wanted. So I was you know, doing some tutoring and I was finding that there were a lot more people that wanted tutoring and people wanted a lot more time than I was able to give. And so, you know, I, I decided like, hey, why don't I just sit in a conference room for two hours every week and people can come in and ask questions and whatever. And, you know, the first time I got one person, second time I got two people and it's since grown. And I think we're almost at 2,500 right now wow. uh, in a few cities. And yeah, it's just grown like crazy. So yeah, we're running like twice a week and you know, it's started off as like people lining up to ask questions and it's turned into, you know, a sort of co-working event that's especially friendly for people learning to code. Mm-hmm. So do you, you have a good mix of people that are more experienced helping out newer people and things like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're uh, a couple of companies are hosting and, you know, so people from their engineering teams end up hanging out and helping. Nice. And we then, yeah, other people will show up and just like work on stuff and you know, if they're more experienced, they might off, you know, say, hey, ask me any Rails questions or ask me any Git questions or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then newer people will come and work together or, you know, flag one of the mentors down if they need something. It's so funny. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, it seems like a very easy way to help a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, tutoring was good and that 
kind of one-on-one mentorship is, you know, really effective. And it's something we've talked about in HTNF also of like, how do we, you know, make onboarding junior people easier? You know, how, how can we support, support junior people? And I think, you know, you can have a single person that's kind of like a tutor mm-hmm. uh, assigned, you know, or, or someone who's paying to have that person available, but the network effect, like having a sort of loosely organized group that's able to support, you know, this junior developer either in your team or in, you know, the world, you know, it's actually a pretty low commitment from any individual mentor and, and you're able to, you know, get a lot of people, stu- you know, unstuck. Yeah. So the, the root of my question is, is, yeah, I don't know, it's <laughs> a little more existential or something, or it's, it's, it's interesting to me that like we as humans have this uh, altruism kind of built yeah. in because there's sort of no reason for you to do this thing where you're just like, oh, sure. I will make my time available for free to help others with no clear benefits for myself. Yeah. And like, but you felt that impulse and I felt that impulse and clearly many people do. Uh, and yeah. People come to your meetup and people, you know, volunteer to help beginners in lots of fields. It's kind of a wonderful part of being human. It's nice that that's a thing. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being really cynical, you know, I can say that, you know, it, it is mutually beneficial, right? Like I'm, I'm only here because that happened, right? Like that's where most of my clout, if you will, has come from, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like, if I run into someone and they happen to know who I am, like that's where it's from. Yep. So, you know, that's gotten me jobs. That's gotten me, you know, recognition for, for different things. So it's, you know, organizing things is hard, but you do get, you know, these sort of intangibles. Yep. Uh, intangible benefits and so but i'm guessing that wasn't really yeah. the motivator for you it wasn't the motivator but you know it, it's it is there and so yeah it, it's it's not, it's not something i think about but there certainly are you know benefits to doing these these sorts of things and and also it's you know as 18f is trying to hire as any other engineering team is trying to hire like it's impossible mm-hmm. right like it's so hard to find people yeah. um and i think that's you know, there's a lot of boot camps and there's a lot of, you know, online resources and things like that for people learning to code. But if folks are in an unstructured environment, you know, just learning on their own, they can get stuck and not really have anywhere to turn to. Mm. Um, there's some online services for tutoring and things, but, you know, there's cost barriers to that. There's, you know, other sorts of reasons why that might not work. You know, this is a very easy way to help more people get into the industry, right? Which will help in the long term grow any team that I'm on. Uh, including and especially 18F, you know, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I hope the sort of like paying it forward will, will, will come back around to me and it has and, and having more people in, in the industry is good for everyone. Yep. Totally. So. I mean, that, those benefits that you talked about are, are, I'm happy they exist. It's nice. Like it turns out a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of like good and positive things you can do for the world will eventually come back to do good and positive things for you as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even if you don't believe in karma, you know, it's, it's yeah, it, it really does. Uh, you know, people have helped out at Hacker Hours have gone on to refer me to totally the various things, and yeah, totally. Yeah. So, Anything else we should cover that you're into? Yeah, I mean, just a quick pitch, I guess that um, you know, having all this work open source uh, as part of HNF, and you know, I do a lot of open source, you know, on my own, related or semi-related or not related to HNF. You know, something I've been thinking about. Uh, a bit recently is how to encourage more open source contribution. And I think, you know, these people that are junior, people that are new, people who might not think like they're ready, you know, are actually a prime pool for getting into open source early, you Mm -hmm. know, that they can actually make a lot of contributions in terms of documentation, in terms of making setup easier, you know, because they have that beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how to 
kind of encourage that that sort of contribution, how to get more people into open source, how to get more people contributing to HNFs or other projects. So I started a GitHub organization, OSS Community. Hmm. And so I've been having some great conversations there um, around, you know, how do you make open source more approachable? How do you structure a repository to make it easy to understand? How do you, you know, what labels do you use for issues to make them, you know, easy to find or whatever? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you, you know, for anyone listening, if you have ideas around this, I'd love to have more conversations awesome. uh, in, that, in that organization. Cool. Yeah. And we can throw a link to that in the show notes as well. Excellent. Cool. Anything else you want to pitch before we sign off? Uh, no, if you, you know, are interested in applying to 18F, please get in touch or, or check out the website, uh, 18F.gsa.gov and not government related. Uh, if you're interested in hacker hours and are based in NYC, please come visit. Or if you are based elsewhere and are interested in hosting and you don't have to be an experienced programmer to do so, you know, please, uh, check out the website or get in touch and, you know, I'd love to help get it started other places. Very cool. Awesome. Hey, everyone, just a quick heads up. There's not going to be a podcast next week. We're taking one week off, and we will see you next time. Have a great week until then. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 151. Thanks for listening.